From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Thanks for tuning in for this Tuesday, July 5th edition of Washington Watch. I certainly hope you had a great and a safe 4th of July. You know, the violence that is plaguing our nation should be getting our attention, but sadly it's not. The left and the media, of course those are probably one and the same, are continually distracting the nation with an intentionally misguided focus on guns rather than face the reality that unrestrained by morality, which springs from religion, specifically Christianity, immorality and violence will only get worse. We're going to be talking about that more in the days ahead. We will not leave that topic. But for today, coming up on today's program. As much as we celebrate today, we're not done. And in fact, there is so much more to do, not necessarily asking you to join us on the legal fight, although we are engaged and ready to go, but so much more for the church and groups to do to bring this message forward. That was Alabama Attorney General Steve Marshall at Sunday's Celebrating Life event hosted by Alliance Defending Freedom and the Family Research Council, which was, host, which was held at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. There is a lot more to do, and General Marshall joins us to list out some of those urgent action steps in this post-Roe world in just a moment. We'll also talk with Carolyn McDonald. She is the staff counsel for Americans United for Life about a resource they have put together for the states as the responsibility for protecting human life now rests in their hands. That's coming up later on Washington Watch. And some are using the court's decision on Roe to distract Americans' attention away from their economic misery. America is better positioned to lead the world than we ever have been. We have the strongest economy in the world. Our inflation rates are lower than other nations in the world. The one thing that has been destabilizing is the outrageous behavior of the Supreme Court of the United States. That was uh, President Joe Biden last week at a press conference at the NATO summit. You know, the president has obviously been watching too many reruns of soap and will and grace to notice the impact of his policies. Fortunately for him, the same is not true of the American public. A recent AP Norick Center poll reveals this. 79% of American adults say the economy is in bad condition. Now, that includes 67% of Democrats, people in the president's own party. We'll talk about it with economist Steve Moore and uh, what's ahead for all of us later on Washington Watch. You know what? And I cannot leave the hypocrisy of the media over the court's decision on Roe. The court is now all of a sudden, all of a sudden, responsible for dividing America as one weekend headline screamed, quote, spurred by the Supreme Court, a nation divides along a red-blue axis, end quote. One headline last week that I referred to claimed this, quote, in other advanced democracies, the courts are more restrained, end quote. Now, that has become a common refrain from the left. During his confirmation hearing, Chief, Ju- um, Chief Justice Roberts famously said that his job was to call balls and strikes and not to pitch or bat. It is clear that five of his colleagues do not ascribe to that policy because they are very much knocking balls out of the park for one team. Gone is the concept of judicial restraint. And in its place is the made up conservative philosophy of originalism. It was uh, MSNBC's Joy Reid last week. Now, this is not accidental or new. It's just been exposed, first by former President Donald Trump as he took on the media, and now by a court that has become tethered to the Constitution and not blown about by the winds created by the New York Times. We're going to talk about the historical alignment of the media with the ideology and policies of the left and where that has led nations in the past. Larry Taunton, executive director of the Fixed Point Foundation, joins me for that conversation. And I am certain you don't want to miss it. That's coming up later on Washington Watch. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources as well as contact information for all of our guests. Again, TonyPerkins.com. And I do hope by now you're making uh, use of the Washington Stand, the WashingtonStand.com. It's what you've asked for. It's news and commentary from a biblical perspective, updated constantly throughout the day and night, WashingtonStand.com. 
Our word for today coming from our stand on the Word Bible reading plan is found in Psalm 16. It's verses 1 and verses 8. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. You know, there is strength and there is hope when we have put our trust in the Lord. To join us in our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. You can also join me each weekday morning at 844 a.m. Eastern Time for a short devotional based upon that reading for the day. You can find that at TonyPerkins.com or on my Facebook page. The battle at the state level over the issue of abortion rages on with an increasing number of Democratic attorneys general and local prosecutors pledging not to uphold the pro-life laws of their states. Meanwhile, those on the Republican side are fighting for their pro-life laws, some of which have obstacles to overcome even after the Supreme Court handed down its decision on Dobbs overturning Roe and Casey. And, And by the way, less than an hour ago, a judge in Mississippi has rejected an attempt by the state's abortion clinic to keep Mississippi's pro-life law from going into effect. That abortion clinic, the state's last, will now have to close by Thursday. Well, joining me now to talk about some of the battles at the state level and what lies ahead in the March for Life is Alabama Attorney General Steve Marshall. General Marshall, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. It's always good to be with you. Well, let's start off with your remarks at our event on Sunday, and I appreciate you uh, coming up and being a part of that event at Cornerstone. Uh, The battle for life continues because, as you pointed out, overturning Roe v. Wade was not the end game. It was just the beginning. Absolutely. And particularly on the legal front, you know, what the Supreme Court did was to restore order. And that is that this is an issue that is singularly to be decided by our respective state legislatures. And so we're very blessed in Alabama that we were able to give the first state in the union that following the Dobbs decision on that Friday uh, was able to fully protect and empower women and children uh, for nine months because we were able to get our injunction removed so that Alabama law was in place. And now me and my colleagues across the country, likewise, uh, in, in analyzing their own state laws, are deciding those next steps moving forward. It's exciting to hear the news you just said about Mississippi uh, and what's going on there. But I know that I've got colleagues uh, throughout uh, our country that are working to make sure that their states join Alabama as we fight to preserve life. Now, we've had um, George Soros-funded prosecutors uh, that have pledged, 90, I think, to date, that have said they will not. And they, these are little little islands of blue in red states primarily saying that they will not enforce pro-life laws. Now, you've been very clear that uh, in as attorney general of uh, Alabama, you have certain authority and you can prosecute those district attorneys that refuse to enforce the law. Is that correct? Well, we'll absolutely make sure that the law in Alabama is enforced. I mean, when you see prosecutors who swear an oath to protect, defend, and enforce the laws of their respective states, the failure to do so is simply an abdication of their uh, responsibilities as a public official. You know, this is not uh, an issue of prosecutorial discretion. Tony, I've been a prosecutor for 20-plus years of my professional life, and never once did I turn away from the enforcement of a law, but instead exercise the discretion given me as a prosecutor to use the resources of my office to make sure that the law was enforced. And we've seen decisions of Soros-backed prosecutors across the country with the escalation of violent crime. And I appreciate the discussion that you're going to have on the show this week about what we're seeing across the country right now. But we're not going to allow prosecutors in Alabama to turn a blind eye to a clear violation of our law. We've made it abundantly clear that we'll step forward and be able to do our jobs. And I expect uh, attorneys general across the country in hearing these announcements of left-leaning prosecutors that they'll make sure that they have their laws enforced as well. I mean, General, isn't that really a part of feeding the lawlessness that we've been seeing sweep across our country in the last three years? Absolutely. And I think it's one of the reasons why we've seen the increase in violent crime. And it's one of the things that I guess we can look at this as a positive when we see cities like San Francisco push back when they see the consequences of left-leaning prosecutors not doing their jobs. I think it is critically important that for the rule of law to be enforced, that 
every member of the executive branch do their job, and principally prosecutors because they become gatekeepers of uh, being able to ensure that the will of the people as reflected by their legislatures uh, end up being enforced. And so this is just one of those examples along what we've seen going on the last couple of years where left-leaning prosecutors are simply not willing to do their jobs, and it's their communities that suffer as a result of that. You know, General Marshall, i got, I got to point this out to show the contrast between – I mean, look, it, it breaks down to, to party – in ideology, conservatives who uphold the law, respect the law, and and then you've got those on the other side that don't. One of your counterparts in New York, uh, Attorney General uh, Letitia James, she actually sent a letter last week to Google demanding that they exclude care pregnancy centers from Google searches. Now, Sunday night when you joined the Celebrating Life event, you were very clear about how churches now – and, and other concerned citizens need to step up to support these care pregnancy centers and expand our work of meeting the needs of women and children, making life better for them to so help them make right choices. And here you have, you know, one of your colleagues on the other side of the political aisle demanding Google remove these centers from any type of search on Google. Yeah, there's so much to, to, to peel back from this discussion. Number one, again, it's why we need to be mindful of social media and those that dominate the Internet, that they don't become the arbiters of truth, which is what the attorney general in New York is asking her version of the truth to be the one that's adopted. You know, the reality is she's objecting to pregnancy centers that work with women so they understand their choices, so they understand the options that exist for them in bringing that baby to term, she wants to, to, to suffocate that voice. And somehow or another, using the censorship ability of social media to be able to advance an agenda that clearly is inconsistent with what we believe ought to be the free sharing of information, but also the ability of the left, again, to be able to dominate the agenda. I think it's just one example of many uh, in the coming weeks and months where Republican attorneys general are going to have to be very proactive in being able to push back because despite what the clear direction of the court was in Dobbs, there is an agenda in place, and we need to be prepared to push back against that agenda. Well, and I can say, I think on behalf of of pro-life Americans, we're grateful for attorneys general like yourself that are not shying away from this Uh, battle. You're rolling up your sleeves and going to work, and we're grateful for it. And I want to thank you again for joining us Sunday night, and I want to thank you for joining us again today. And and I I know the citizens of Alabama are blessed to have you as their attorney general. Well, thank you, Tony. It's it's a worthy fight and, and glad that we get to be a part of it. All right. Thanks so much for being with us. That was the attorney general of the state of Alabama. And these attorneys general at the state level have never been more important. And and as I mentioned, Soros has been funding prosecutors and attorneys general those races to try to get these lawless, left-leaning prosecutors who will give us what we've been seeing, lawlessness, violence in the streets of America. Elections have consequences. Our hope is not in elections, all right? Don't ever think that our hope, our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. But to be salt and light We need to be involved and we need to be voting for men and women who have a a biblical foundation and are willing to stand and defend truth. All right, don't go away. We're going to be talking about the economy next on Washington Watch. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. 
First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with the prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I just spilled my water out of my stand mug. Uh, it's, uh, it's not spill proof, okay? So if you have a stand mug, just remember that. I hope you're planning to join us for FRC and FRC Action's Pray Vote Stand Summit. This year, the summit will be held September the 14th through the 16th at First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, This is uh, our premier event. You'll be equipped and encouraged to address the issues of of today from a biblical worldview. And we'll we'll have a number of uh, political leaders, uh, church leaders, cultural leaders be there at uh, it's great. It's going to be good. I can assure you of that. The registration is now open, so visit PrayVoteStand.org for summit details. That's uh, PrayVoteStand.org slash summit for details and to, uh, to register. Over the past two months, President Biden has been claiming that his top priority is fighting inflation. Now, that's his words. His actions tell us something else. Um, now... Everything is about, you know, all his discussions about the Supreme Court and its decision on the Dobbs case. And in, in fact, look, I just want you to listen to this clip again from him last week as he was closing out the NATO conference. America's better positioned to lead the world than we ever have been. We have the strongest economy in the world. Our inflation rates are lower than other nations in the world. The one thing that has been destabilizing is the outrageous behavior of the Supreme Court of the United States. <laughs> All right. So so America, inflation in America isn't raging. It's not burning up everything in sight, just most everything. So it's not as bad as other countries. But look, look, don't take my word for it. You can look at the AP uh, and Norik poll. Even pro-abortion Americans... Oh, can't overlook the worsening inflation and the economic conditions. They see it. They feel it. Every time they fill up their car, every time they go to the grocery store, they're feeling it. And 79% of adults believe America's economy is in bad condition. A year ago, 37% of Democrats, only 37% of Democrats said that the economy was poor. Today, it's 67 They feel it. They know. Joining me now to talk about this is economist Stephen Moore. He is a senior fellow at Freedom Works and co-founder of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. And he was a former member of the Trump administration or his advisory team. Uh, Steve, welcome back to the program. Hi, Tony. All right. So the the, the, um, 
the Supreme Court is responsible for destabilizing uh, America. Um, Somehow, I guess we just jumped over all the policies of the Biden administration that has left Americans kind of wondering what the future holds. Well, first of all, let's just say that it was really, um, really bad form for the president to say that about our Supreme Court when he's over there in Europe. You know, that's just something presidents that have class don't do. Even if you disagree, uh, as some people do with some of these Supreme Court decisions, it's just it's it's really incredibly improper and, and unpatriotic, frankly. Um, in terms of the economy, look, Tony, this economy is in really rough shape right now. And Americans know that. I don't have to tell you the numbers. Everyone uh, watching this show knows inflation is as high as it's been in 40 years. We're actually in a, I love these, this talk about all these economists say we might be headed to recession. Tony, we're in a recession right now. You know, the economy grew at, uh, contracted by one and a half percent in the first quarter of this year. The latest estimates that are that it, uh, you know, the, <clears throat> the year, half year ended on July 1st, that in the second quarter that the economy contracted by another two percent. That's technically a recession. Now it's a soft recession, but the economy is not doing well. And those numbers that you just recited from polls indicate that Americans can feel it and they know it. Are, are we out of the woods yet? Have we seen the worst of this when it comes to inflation and higher interest rates and the higher costs that Americans are going to have to be paying for essentials? Hmm, that's a tough question. I, look, I, here's my problem. I, we could get out of these woods. Absolutely. We could have a very mild recession and move on. And, and I actually believe, Tony, that if, if Donald Trump were still president, you know, I advised him, so I'm biased, but I think the economy would be flying high right now. I don't think we'd be talking about a recession. We'd be talking about a booming economy with COVID over and people getting back to work and businesses getting back open and people going to movies and restaurants again. So there's no reason the economy shouldn't be booming, except that Joe Biden has made so many policy blunders. And it starts, in my opinion, Tony, with the war on American energy. It's inexcusable. It's put us yeah. in a situation where that if you're wondering why you're paying $5 a gallon gas, it's because by, we're 3 million barrels a day lower in U.S. energy production than we should be. And you saw just this past weekend, the Wall Street Journal reported that Biden is now um, taking off limits a lot of our offshore drilling. Wait a minute. I thought he said he's doing everything he can to lower gas prices. Right. Well, that's one question I want to ask you, Steve. How significant are energy costs in driving inflation and the, the impacting the bottom line of American families? I mean, there's nothing that's more central to our economy than energy. Energy is embedded in the cost of everything we have, everything that we do. Every job requires energy, our construction, our manufacturing, the production of cars and steel. Uh, the food that we eat, agriculture, people underestimate how important energy is to a safe and affordable energy, I mean, a food supply. And now, Tony, I don't know if you've been following this, but many countries around the world are, are facing food shortages. And even here in the United States, you're, you're starting to see, you know, problems with getting the supply of food on the grocery store shelves. So that's a bit of a crisis, I'd say. And it all goes back to a fundamentally flawed energy policy by this administration from day one of his of his taking the presidency. Well, that's, I would say, his central mistake. It's this ridiculous obsession on the left with climate change. I read through these bills, Tony's these, you know, 800 and thousand page bills that Biden and the Democrats put together. And I'm not exaggerating. Every other paragraph is about climate change. They are completely yeah. obsessed with that issue. They're willing to destroy the American economy and the American family to uh, to so-called, you know, change the temperature of the planet as if the government's going to be able to do that. And at the same time, I want your viewers to know that China and Russia are the big winners of this policy because right. they are filling the gap in the energy. So China, their right. coal production has quadrupled over the last five years. Um, yeah. Russia's war machine is being financed with petrodollars. Did you know China, China, I mean, um, Russia now, right now has the strongest currency in the world? Uh, how can that be? Because, the is because, because they're making of the so energy, money. the oil. Exactly. Steve, Steve, we got to leave it there. We're out of time. Always great to talk with you. Thanks for joining Thanks, us. Johnny. Folks, stick around. We're coming back after this.
Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15-week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Glad you've joined us for this Tuesday edition of Washington Watch. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Uh, ran out of time in that last interview with Steve Moore, but I, I just wanted to say, you know, it, it, it just amazes me that the left, they think they have, uh, they just want to get the power to save the planet with their green policies. And they can't even protect one city with their liberal leftist ideas. Um, so why would we give them the power? They can't, they can't save the planet. They can't even protect one city. Because they're completely, well, misguided. Let me leave it that, at that. The uh, pro-life movement may have concluded its 49-year battle to overturn the infamous Roe v. Wade decision of 1973 and the Casey decision of 1992. But last month's Dobbs decision has opened up a new chapter in the fight for life as abortion policy now shifts to the states. It's back where it was and back where it should be in the hands of the people. And hopefully we'll see a majority of the states that will understand what this country has historically understood, that all life is precious and worthy to be welcomed into the world and protected under our laws because it's made in the image of God. Well, here with me now to talk about what's next for the states, Carolyn McDonald. She is a staff counsel at Americans United for Life, whose organization has a new resource out to equip states in defending life in this post-Roe world. Carolyn, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much for having me today. Uh, I've read through your resource, and it's uh, very well thought through. You're putting this in the hands of uh, attorneys general at the states as well as policymakers. Explain to our viewers and listeners uh, what's behind this and what you hope to accomplish. We just published what we have termed the Attorney General's Playbook for a Post-Roe World. And what this stems from is we've had 49 years of the Roe regime and then a multitude of years of under Casey's undue burden standard. So the question right now for litigators is what comes next and what comes next for abortion policy and abortion litigation? So we prepared this document so that attorney generals and other litigators have a resource to know what kind of procedural arguments to make now that Dobbs has overturned Roe and what type of arguments they should be raising in litigation. Where are the states right now? How many are already there? How many are almost there? And and how many are clearly on the other side? It's really messy, and I think that's the best way to describe it. Um, Dobbs returned the abortion issue to the states. So about half the states have protections either at conception or up to five months of uh, pregnancy. The other half of the states seem to be on the other side where they're 
allowing abortion with virtually no protections for women and unborn children. And so from there, you have to look into the laws of each state and see what types of life-affirming laws they have. And once you factor in the pre-Roe laws and also conditional laws, the situation just becomes messier. Now, you are also tracking major life cases in the federal and the state courts across the country. And I mentioned earlier, just before we went on the air, that Mississippi, a judge in Mississippi, is allowing their pro-life law to go into effect after a, uh, a suit was filed by the state's only abortion clinic. So what, what can you tell us about some of the more notable cases that are currently in the court system? Definitely. So I want, Mississippi is actually a good example. And one of our concerns right now is that since the Supreme Court has said that the federal constitution does not protect abortion as a right, is now, unfortunately, the other side is looking at the state court systems and to see what state courts and state judiciaries will contrive a state constitutional abortion right. And so in the Mississippi case, the abortionists have actually argued that the state constitution protects abortion. And, of course, we know that's just a flawed understanding of the right to privacy in in their state constitution. But at the same time, this argument is popping up across the different states. So how can our viewers, our listeners uh, access these resources and how can they be helpful in this effort? If you go to our website, which is AUL.org, we have all of these resources listed publicly. Anyone can access them. And I think the best way to, to help out at this point is to simply educate yourself. Know what Roe said, know what Dobbs said in overturning Roe, and be able to defend life by knowing the arguments behind there. And of course, if you're on the grounds, the best way to get involved is with your local pregnancy resource center, because they are on the front lines protecting women and unborn children. In reading through these, Carolyn, uh, I know this was designed for attorneys general uh, that are going to be defending the law, but there are also, I think, good arguments to be used by the policymakers because, as you mentioned, the variety of state laws that we have all the way from conception to five months, um, this is going to be – we're going to see policy being advanced, and I think these arguments are good arguments to use in that process. Definitely, and I think – On the litigation aspect, we have to understand that in the federal courts now, Dobbs has returned us to the rational basis standard. So what that means, especially for policymakers, is as long as they put forward a legitimate interest that is rationally related to the the law they're promulgating, then courts will uphold that. So we can look at legitimate interests such as maternal health and safety. We have this commonly through informed consent laws or admitting privileges laws. We also can look at the dignity of the unborn child. Dobbs recognizes that states have been really straight-tracketed by Roe and then Casey in order in advancing their interests in protecting unborn life. And thankfully, at this point in time, they can return and put forward these legitimate interests, and most laws will be upheld when they reach the courts. It's clearly a new day. Great resource, Carolyn. I want to thank you all for putting it out, and uh, we'll encourage people to share that with uh, their elected officials in states across the country as well. Thank you very much. All right. Folks, uh, stick around because coming up, we're going to have a historical and analytical look at the media. What's behind their bias and their blatant hypocrisy? We've seen it in full view after the Supreme Court decision on Dobbs. But there's more behind this. And we're going to talk about it. Larry Taunton joins me next here on Washington Watch. You will not want to miss this conversation. Stick around. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com.
With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. This is Washington Watch, and I am Tony Perkins, and the website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you, so I encourage you to check that out. There are links to our guests and to the resources that they mentioned in case you didn't catch uh, the uh, websites that they gave out. Right, uh, we've talked about this, but I'm going to keep talking about it because I think it's very, very instructive. The left has been in meltdown mode since the U.S. Supreme Court handed down the Dobbs decision last month that overturned Roe and Casey. Now, this, as we've talked about, what it does simply returns the issue of abortion back to the states where it originally belonged. And hopefully we're going to see the states one by one begin to embrace the sanctity of human life. But the, uh, the, ma- the, the legacy media has been melting along with them, all right? All right, the, the, the left, the media, um, and they're bolstering this narrative that the court is, is too powerful, and too aggressive. Okay, the left now is saying this, the media is saying it. Uh, all of a sudden, they've realized um, hey, the court, the court, the court's too powerful, the court's unrestrained. You know, I, I mentioned this at the top of the program. The New York Times ran with a banner headline last week. Uh, in, this is it, quote, in other advanced democracies, the courts are more, are more restrained, end quote. Um, and then I, w- I just want to read a, just a sentence from the second, I think the second or third paragraph. It says, the Supreme Court's power is strange, speaking of ours, the U.S. Supreme Court, the, the Supreme Court's power is strange in a global context, end quote. And it goes on to say the highest court levels in other rich democracies tend to be less dominant, end quote. Are you kidding me? Where was the media calling for restraint in 1973 when a left-leaning court created a constitutional right to abortion up until birth? By the way, the media does not want you to know that until the court overturned Roe, America was one of just six countries out of 195 that allowed abortion up until birth. Now, where, where was the media calling for restraint in 2015 with a left-leaning court by a, a slim, slim majority, five to four? They had a ruling that threw out 5,000 years of human history and created a right to same-sex marriage. Now, at that time, the U.S. was just the 23rd country out of 195 to create same-sex marriage and only one of seven to do so by the court. 
So why wasn't the media going crazy talking about the unrestrained power of the court? Now, we know the legacy media is biased in their reporting. But why are they so biased? Is there something more sinister and dangerous behind the intentionally deceptive media? With me now to answer that question by taking a historical and analytical look at the media and how they have bolstered leftist regimes in the past is Larry Taunton. He's an author, columnist, and executive director of the Fixed Point Foundation. Larry, welcome back to the program. Good to see you, Tony. Well, good to see you as well. Thanks so much for joining us. I think I've uh, I've teed it up pretty good. So I want to start with uh, your thoughts on the Dobbs decision and how the left has been reacting and what it tells us. Well, I think you put it very well, Tony, when you said that they have been in uh, absolute meltdown. And of course, uh, you're right in saying that the media has reacted uh, much the same way. And and that is because, by and large, um, the media is made up of leftists. It's uh, even, you know, a leftist standard bearer, you know, someone like Bill Maher uh, has been increasingly pointing out this fact. And um, uh, so their reaction is uh, is fairly predictable in terms of what we've seen since uh, roughly 2016, uh, in that you see uh, threats of violence, you see violence, uh, you know, a, a, an actual assassination attempt on uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh. So this this has become part of the, uh, you know, uh, standard operating procedure of the left. Now, I, I want to uh, the reason I, I'd love to talk with you and your perspective on this, because uh, and I didn't mention this in the intro, but I mean, you studied um, communist. You studied communism. You studied the former Soviet Union. You kind of know how they think. And I here's my take on it. I mean, we've always known. And well, I mean, there was a time when I think the media was pretty fair. They kept their own um, ideological bent kind of suppressed and they just kind of gave the facts. I mean, I used to be a defender. In fact, I wrote a book, I think, back in 2005, defending CNN and the media. I mean, I was a reporter for a couple of years. I, there was a time when the, the media was pretty fair. But I think they've been exposed during the Trump years. He kind of flushed them out. And now I think with this court decision, they're completely uh, they're off the rails. So is there something bigger here that we need to be looking at? How, you know, unfortunately, the memory of many Americans is kind of short. They don't. They don't go back to look and see what the media's reaction was in 2015 when 5,000 years of uh, human history was thrown Mm -hmm. out with marriage redefinition. Mm -hmm. So this over-the-top reaction by the media attacking a constitutionally tethered court should be a warning sign to us that the media has something up their sleeve. Well, uh, first of all, let me uh, just bolster uh, your first comments there. I used to do a lot of work for CNN. I would have people say to me, ah, you know, the Communist News Network, I'm sure that they they try to control what you say, to edit whatever you publish with them. That simply wasn't the case uh, years ago. Um, they brought me on uh, on numerous occasions uh, and gave me, you know, free reign to share uh, you know, my opinions um, on the Christian faith. Gay marriage was one of the issues that they uh, uh, they consulted uh, me on. And there was no attempt to uh, censor or suppress or to control anything that I said. But in the last uh, I think you're I think you're right. Uh, beginning with Donald Trump, that has changed in a very big way. The uh, the media has become an active participant in the culture war. Uh, they've always been left-leaning, uh, the mainstream media, but at least there was some, um, you know, pretense of, uh, of impartiality. There would be a conservative voice, you know, like my own or uh, many others at right. places like the CNN, you know, or NPR or the New York Times. That just simply isn't the case anymore. So now they are an active participant in the culture war. And that's dangerous. I mean, they, they've become, um, I mean, they've become a cheerleader uh, mm-hmm. for the left, um, attacking the very institutions that, I mean, I just, look, I, I, 
I don't think the court should be um, pushing anybody's agenda, quite frankly. I mean, I don't want I don't want a conservative court that's advancing a conservative agenda. I want a constitutional court. That's now what we have. We have a court mm. that is tethered to the Constitution. I think the Constitution has staying power. That's why I want our court to be attached to it. But it's just very interesting that when we were concerned about Roe v. Wade in the Casey case, when we were concerned about the redefinition of marriage and, you know, we were saying, you know, we need term limits for the for justices. We need, uh, you know, a more restrained court. The media blew us off because yeah, they were getting what they wanted out of the court. But now that they're not getting this um, made up facade of rights that they had gotten for decades, now they want to join the left in attacking the court. Yeah, well, um, let's let's talk about the real hypocrisy here in their attitudes about the courts in general. The left have traditionally seen the courts as a way of doing an end run on democracy. You can't win on a gay marriage with a referendum use the courts. You don't like a, a Trump executive order, use the courts to, to block it. You can't win on uh, so-called gun control, use the courts. So, uh, you know, we were being warned, um, you know, three decades ago by uh, Robert Bork that we were moving towards a judicial oligarchy. Now, the left has expressed no concern over this. Now that the court has overturned Roe v. Wade, and I liked your, your opening remarks, Tony, because you characterized it exactly right. The left has not, excuse me, the court has not outlawed abortion. They have simply kicked it back to the states. In other words, rather than a judicial oligarchy, which is what the left has wanted, the court has done exactly the opposite. They have respected the will of the people of self-determination on an issue like this. So the, you know, the New York Times dishonestly reported that the, the court had outlawed abortion. Well, that's just patently false. That is not at all what has happened. And the left has been quite happy to try to create uh, activist courts and uh, a, a judicial oligarchy. And this court has rejected that. Right. So we now have a court tethered to the Constitution rather than being blown by the wind made by the New York Times uh, that will just toss us back and forth. But I, I want to go to, based on your understanding of history and watching the Soviet Union, watching the rise of communism, what is the danger of having a leftist media that is constantly becoming the, uh, increasingly becoming the propaganda arm of the leftist, those who hold power in this country? Uh, well, it's an incredible danger because uh, we have traditionally taken the view in this country, and of course it was the left's argument for a very long time on issues like, let's say, gay marriage or homosexuality, that there needed to be uh, some measure of tolerance um, regarding the, these things. And now it's become uh, a, a case where it's simply forced upon us at every turn with, uh, you know, with perverse things like uh, so-called Pride Month. But the real danger lies with democracy itself because it isn't merely that we have a left-leaning media. It is that we now have active suppression, active suppression of dissent. So that, um, you know, Time Magazine in February of 2021 came out with a piece by Molly Ball in which they were bragging quite openly about the uh, uh, media conspiracy uh, to defeat Donald Trump. And they state quite openly, again, this is Time Magazine, they're stating quite openly that there were efforts to pressure social media companies to uh, censor um, conservatives, that there was an, an effort in, uh, in media for there to be a steady drip of negative reporting on Donald Trump and to give him no credit whatsoever. Now, any American who is listening to us who says, well, I didn't like Trump, I didn't vote for Trump, you're missing the point. If at any point you decide that you disagree with the, um, you know, the, the coveted orthodoxies of the left, you will be suppressed. That is the direction we're going. 
So, Larry, again, based upon your study of the rise of communism, the, the facil- facilitation of their leftist policies and ideology by the media, which was mostly state-owned in some of these countries, but nonetheless, um, what is the way forward for conservatives? I mean, we still have freedom, and I think we can still use that freedom to preserve this freedom, but I will tell I think the hour is late. What do we need to be doing? Yeah, I, I agree with that, Tony. I think the hour is uh, is is very late. Well, you know, I published a piece last week. You can find it on my website at LarryAlexTaunton.com called Send in the Clowns. And uh, in it, I'm basically making an argument that what we are seeing in this country is the fulfillment of Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, which basically says that once you suppress the truth, you will ultimately pervert truth and you'll pervert life itself, which is very certainly um, the direction that we're going. Unfortunately, many Christian leaders in this country, uh, Tony, and, and you know this as well as I do, they are unwilling to take a stand on these issues. You know, there's been this whole, you know, so-called winsome debate. You know, is it appropriate for Christians to take a stand? Is it appropriate for them to get engaged in politics? Well, I would say not only is it appropriate, it's your duty. I mean, do you care about your children? Do you care about your grandchildren? Do you care about your own legacy? You know, I think about someone like my own father who fought in two wars against Marxists. I think the the very least that I could do to preserve freedom in this country is to write against them. It is to oppose them. And it is to um, to call them out for what they're doing. Uh, we have this whole January 6th committee nonsense going on, uh, which is, by the way, very Marxist. It looks very much like an old Soviet show trial, while at the very same time, we have the left using the kind of tactics that they are condemning. In other words, uh, violence, intimidation, and threats of violence and intimidation. This stuff has to be opposed. Well, I, I am so grateful, uh, Larry, that you join us today. And I'm going to encourage people to read that piece. Unfortunately, we're out of time. But I'm going to want to continue this conversation because I, I, I think history is so instructive for us to see what has happened in the past, how these things have occurred, because oftentimes you don't see it when you're in the middle mm-hmm. of it unless you're looking for the warning signs. And I would tell yeah. you, I see warning signs all around us. I do, too, Tony, and uh, I'll share with your producer some thoughts on that. I was just recently in Cuba, and I have to tell you, it was very interesting what I was observing there and the police summoning me in, you know, demanding that I show up um, for uh, for a hearing. So, I mean, this is what happens in these kinds of countries. Wow. Well, I'm going to summon you, too, and you've got to show up here at Washington Watch as well. (laughs) Thank you, brother. All right. Good to see you. Larry Taunton, uh, I would encourage you to read his piece. Uh, you can go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over. Uh, look, I'm, in, I'm so encouraged that we now have a court that's tethered to the Constitution, that is standing on the Constitution. That gives me hope for the future. But we've got to do our part. And so one thing you can do is continue to listen to Washington Watch and invite your friends to join us as well so that they are informed And as Larry said, engaged. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 